Welcome to RUF. It's good to see you. Um, my name is Matt. I'm the campus minister here with Wofford RUF. Move this out of the way so I can see John Jeffrey in Hampton. Um, no matter where you are, no matter what you believe, no matter what you've done, we're really glad that you're here and we want you to feel welcome. RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship. And we're one of the many campus ministries here on campus trying to walk alongside you to help you grow in your faith during college. And if RUF is not sticking for you, I hope it does. But if it doesn't, there are a lot of other campus ministries here trying to help you walk alongside you in your faith. UKirk is here and they meet. Campus Outreach meets tomorrow night. Rev. Ron is around uh, and is available to you as well. And so please, we're here to serve you. Um, so avail yourself to us. Um, uh, we, we're a community trying to figure out what it looks like to love God and love others and to love Wofford. But more fundamentally, I hope that you've experienced this semester that we are a people trying to bask in the reality that before anything else, God loves us. Before we love others, before we love Wofford, God loves us. So we want to celebrate that each week. And we've been looking at the parables of Jesus this fall. And what we've seen each week is parables were little stories that Jesus told in his life and ministry. And he told these stories to disrupt our categories, to disorient us. Right when we think we've got Jesus figured out, he would tell a story to disrupt our hearts and our minds about what we think God, who we think God is, what we think the gospel is. He does this every time we look at a parable. It's challenging to us. And what we're going to see tonight is we're going to be looking at a parable where Jesus talks about contentment. It's a parable about contentment. It's the parable of the the rich fool. So Ivy and I, we don't have kids, but uh, I I have three nieces, and my first niece was born when I was 17 years old. So in a lot of ways, I feel like I've kind of grown up with her. And if there's anything that I've learned about being around young children, it's this. They are needy and discontent, and they are never satisfied. More food, more playtime. They're discontent. They want more and more and more. This, this, the, the gospel message, the good news for children is more, right? It's just more. They're never satisfied. And Jesus knew this about, uh, about children. He, kn- he knows this also about the human heart, not just children. It's you and me. We wake up and our hearts are restless And they're prone to wander away to try to find a home away from Jesus. And we've been talking about that this this week. And Jesus, knowing the human heart inside and out, talks about contentment tonight. And what we're going to see, just sort of showing my cards in the front end, what we're going to see tonight in this passage is that Jesus is saying to us, I have everything you need. You want real, lasting contentment? Look to me. That's what we're going to see passage is in your handout now, or you can turn there to Luke 12 in your Bibles. Friends, this is God's Word. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a book of rules or a theology exam to master. He's spoken to you and to me because He loves us. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So this is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? If you are not able to do as small a thing as that, then why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you're to eat, what you're to drink, or to be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. It's the word of God for the people of God. Let's go to him and ask that he might teach us. God, we give thanks to you that uh, your word is living and active, and we've seen this every single week here at 9 o'clock in this room, that it's living and active because you are living and active. Lord, um, our minds are busy and our hearts are restless, and Lord, we just pray humbly and admit that we simply will just not hear you unless you slow us down and speak. We walk into this room in different places with different backgrounds and childhoods and shame and sin and distractions. We have conversations on our minds. We have exams on our minds. We have post-grad plans on our minds. We have Thanksgiving and hard conversations with family members and Christmas. Lord, we, we're in different places tonight, but you know us inside and out. So meet us right where we are that we might find Jesus here and find him beautiful. We ask this in his name. Amen. So in this parable and telling this story, Jesus is inviting us to find contentment in him. And we're going to see this in a couple ways. This is sort of the two phrases we're using to walk through our passage. The game plan is in front of you. First, never enough. And then second, life without lack. Never enough and life without lack. Let's do the first one. Jesus is showing us in this story that a life driven by unhinged ambition is an empty life. It's an empty life. It's a life in which you find yourself always on the run, on the search for more. More money, more success, more admiration, more security. And Jesus wants us to know that this life driven in this way is an endless treadmill that is anything but satisfying And it always falls short. It always falls short. In the parable, Jesus tells us we have a rich farmer, and he's successful. 
has everything that he needs. And we read in verse 16, he has plenty of land and produce and crops and land. And he looks around and he sees all these old barns. And he's not content with them. They're old. Um, they're, they're sort of, they're, they're the old model, right? He wants the new ones. And so he wants the bigger and better barn. And he believes that accomplishing this project will satisfy him. Like he'll be okay if he gets it. Look at verse 18 again. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns. Here's my building project plan. I'll, build, I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He is thinking, if I can just get rid of these old barns, get new ones bigger and better, then I will be okay. I'll have security, I'll have control. That's where he is. And Jesus' response in verse 20, if you look there, it's, it's striking. It just says, fool. That's his response. God said, fool. Jesus is showing us his cards and he's saying that the bigger and better barn can only go so far and it can't get into your bones it can't get into your heart and satisfy you it won't give you contentment like daily contentment it also won't give you eternal contentment we'll get there as we make our way through the passage but so temporarily like daily contentment falling short eternal significance and contentment falling short as well so if, uh, if you guys meet with me one-on-one, those of you who have, um, you'll know one of my kind of like pastoral like shticks that I talk about all the time is vulnerability and uh, community and vulnerability of being honest, of showing weakness and asking for help in the Christian life. You can't do the Christian life solo, et cetera, et cetera. So to practice uh, what I preach, uh, I'm going to be vulnerable with you guys for a second and I have a confession to make. I, I love shoes. I love shoes a lot. And I spend, uh, I spend an unbelievable amount of time looking at shoes online. I have 10 times more shoes than Ivy. Uh, I wish Ivy could be here tonight. Um, she would be rolling her eyes so hard right now. Um, I have so many more shoes than she does. I follow Instagram accounts that like show these really obscure like sneakers that I'm never going to buy. Like Michael Jordan wore these in the 1988 playoffs, this one game. Why do I, why do I follow this, this account? I don't know. Um, and uh, I always have, always will. And if you know of any like recovery communities that, you know, support groups, you can let me know um, for shoes. It's embarrassing. Here's what's more embarrassing about it. Like when I'm, like laying in bed with my phone scrolling through these accounts and like on these sites looking for this deal for these shoes that I think that I will be complete when I get these shoes. I just do. I'm more embarrassed actually with what's going on in my insides when I watch watch you know LeBron play and look at his shoes that I would look ridiculous wearing. Um, but my heart longs for these so much and I can't stop obsessing about them because I believe something will be complete in me if I have them. Um, and if you ask Ivy, like, does Ivy need, or does, does Matt need any more shoes? I don't need them. This is not about need at all. Like, I'm obsessing about these uh, $350, like, handmade boots right now. I do not need brown shoes right now. I don't, but I want them real bad, uh, real bad. They're so nice. Um, Look, y'all, I, you know, it's like I love Jesus 
all I need is him and my wife and $350 pairs of handmade shoes. And I like, I'm laughing. It's, I know I'm not alone. And if we're honest, we're in an environment surrounded by beautiful things. We're, we live in a beautiful world. God has created a beautiful world. And so it could be the barber jackets that we see everywhere in this area of the country. It could be the, uh, the, uh, like the athleisure like vibe that like, I don't understand that you got girls wear that's like way overpriced. That's all I know is it's overpriced, but hey, I know. Um, that's just clothes. They're like, um, there are like really nice cars that we can look at. Something is going on. And we are captivated, and it is intoxicating to see this beauty. Not just like from a, a beauty, hey, that's nice. I need a new car. I'd like to have this one that's out of my price range. Something is going on in our hearts. And the, here's the deal. The problem, the problem here is not with the stuff. It's not. It's what's going on in my heart when I look at this stuff, when I want it. Like, the problem is not the $350 handmade shoes like there are they are nice i'll show them to you they are nice um but like that i'm not okay without them and what's going on in my heart is the problem and here here's the deal i've said this before god's creation is good that's what we see in genesis 1 and 2 god's creation is a terrible savior the boots are great terrible savior um Success and money, um, worthwhile. Financial success, worthwhile. Terrible savior. A vacation home, right? In the mountains or on the beach. You can use it for hospitality. All kinds of awesome things you can do with this. Terrible savior. Because the root of all this, and I think you know where I'm going with this, is a discontent heart. That's, that's, that's the problem, a restless, discontent heart. It's looking around at your circumstances, your life, your family, your material goods, and being, being discontent with what God has given you. It's looking around and saying, not enough. Not enough. Our hearts have been con- discontent and restless like this for a long time. What we see in Genesis 1 and 2 with Adam and Eve is God creates the world, and he creates a good world. He creates and he says, this is good, over and over. That's the refrain. He creates by the word of his power, and he looks at it and says, this is beautiful. This is good. And in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam and Eve, they truly have what Dallas Willard calls a life without lack. They have everything that they need. And sin enters into the picture in chapter 3. And what happens is that they hear the enemy's lie, and the enemy's lie is this. Look, I know that God has given you the world, but something is off. Do you sense that? Something is off. So you need to take matters into your own hands and take something more. You need more. Right? Do you see this? It's feeding in to our discontent, restless hearts. Then taking matters into your own hands, your own control, you'll be content then. This is what we see in the prodigal son, week one of of the fall. He left his father's house, and the irony of that is he had everything that he needed at home with his dad, but he's got to do his own thing. The heart has been on the run this way for a very long time. One of my friends, uh, one of my seminary friends, 
lives in a house now that's really nice and they host people all the time perfect size got bought it for a great price and i was walking around with him one day uh, a couple of years ago and we walked past this house that was like slightly bigger slightly nicer and slight and, and you know probably like 10 years um younger and my friend like walks by and i could like tell in his body language that something was off and he was just like matt i struggle every time i walk by this house because i want it and I, we could have bought it and it was out of our price range by like a few thousand dollars it would have been unwise and i was like dude i was like you have an amazing house you use it so much it meets all your needs financially hospitality wise it does everything checks all the boxes he was like i know I know it does. He was like, but I, my heart longs for that. And I struggle every day to be, con- dis- I, I struggle every day to be content in our home. Looking to God's creation to satisfy our hearts just doesn't work. James K. Smith says it this way, idolatry, looking, worshiping, bowing down to the creation rather than the creator Uh, does not work. This is what he says. Idolatry doesn't work, which is why it creates reckless and restless hearts. And this is why we see, you know, this countless stories. We've talked about Tom Brady a couple times, like kind of getting, you know, upward mobility. He arrives and he's still so reckless. What we see is that the most successful people in our country in terms of like celebrity status are so empty. We could rattle off stories, like dozens of stories. They're just so restless because they're not satisfied, they're discontent. James K. Smith keeps going on this way. We're treating as ultimate what is ultimately penultimate. We're heaping infinite, immortal expectations on created things, which will pass away. We're settling for an aspect of the creation rather than being content with the creator. Disordered love is like falling in love with a boat rather than than the destination. The problem is that the boat won't last forever and it's going to start feeling claustrophobic because your heart was built for another shore. I love that because your heart and mine was built for more. We were made for more. And I think we feel this in our bones and our hearts when we wake up. We need more, but not more stuff. Let's go to life without lack now. Second part. So guys, when Jesus tells uh, parables, you probably noticed this, he'll like tell a parable and he'll like mic, mic, drop, mic drop and kind of walk away and not really tell us what the point of it was. Sometimes it's clear, sometimes it's like open for interpretation, like a lot of poetry and storytelling is. This is not one of those times. This is a story where Jesus backs up and he shows us his cards. Jesus shows us in verse 22 and following that life with him is again what life, as Dallas Willard calls, a life without lack. It's Psalm 23 when you say, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what Jesus is saying. Life with me, you don't need anything else. That's what he's saying. He's showing us his cards. Because Jesus provides for our daily needs. He provides for us. He's the good shepherd. He takes care of his sheep. He's not distant with our daily needs. He knows what we need. Look at verse 22 again. I'm going to read this section slowly. um, And I hope just me reading it, you can like, I hope it's a ministry to you because I think it's, it's very overt in what Christ is trying to say here. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat nor about your body, what you'll put on, for life is more than food, the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither soar, sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you so anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you're to eat or drink, nor be worried. The nations seek after these things. Your Father knows you need them. Friends, if you... Jesus knows you inside and out, how many hairs are on your head, what you are anxious about, what you are worried about. And he comes to you in our, in me, in my obsession with control and materialism and idolatry, and he comes to us and he says, don't worry. He doesn't come to us with condemnation. With tears in our eyes and hanging our heads because all of our shame and all of our doubts, etc., he comes to us with gentleness. Do you hear the voice of a shepherd here when he shows us his carts, what this parable is about? We find daily provision with the good shepherd. That's why we find everything that we need. He watches us. He knows what we need. And he says, y'all, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, y'all have probably heard this, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And listen to this. This is so beautiful. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. This is life with the shepherd. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. You'll be content. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. He's not trying to wear you down. He's not trying to wear you down. He's not trying to burn you out. He's not trying to give you a to-do list. He wants to satisfy you. Do you see this? We don't just find like daily provision. We find eternal inheritance, though. Did you notice this? The grace that Jesus gives us is anything but temporary. Temporary grace is not a biblical category. Limit, li- like a grace with limits is not a biblical category. It is not, and don't let anyone else tell you otherwise. Your circumstances change. Jesus and his grace for you is not. Your GPA and financial status may change. Jesus' grip on you is not moving. Your home life might be chaotic and it might get worse when you go home. Jesus, your good shepherd, is not leaving his grace. An eternal game plan for your soul is immovable. It's not going anywhere. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. Blessed be to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus has done. Who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. There's no limits to this. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for fullness of time to unite all things in heaven and on earth. If you're a Christian tonight, everything that you need is in Jesus. You have it. Take it. Taste it. See it. Trust it. 
right now, daily provision, and for all eternity. Because when you throw yourself on Jesus like a child and rest in his love and grace for you, you will find yourself satisfied. You will. And, it's, and look, this is not like let go and let God stuff. That's not what I mean. Here, let's, let's walk through what I mean. You'll find yourself content where you can rejoice and be satisfied when you suffer. That's what I mean. When you experience loss and disappointment, you can like be composed because Jesus is faithful to you and he's not going to, he's going to keep his word and promises. Contentment in Jesus looks like having a joy that's not dependent upon your circumstances. Contentment in Jesus looks like steady composure when you feel like our country is only getting crazier, crazier because Jesus is in charge and on the throne. Composed. Contentment in Jesus is trusting in him when you're confused and disoriented about your plans after Wofford. Like, is he going to give me a job? Everyone's getting into med school. Everyone's getting into grad school. Everyone's getting the jobs. And I, like, is he going to provide or not? Contentment in Jesus might even say something like, if I don't have a job, how crazy would that be, right? But Jesus will provide. Look at the lilies, right? They're taken care of. So will you be. You'll be taken care of. You don't have to be in control. You don't have to have perfect plans or the perfect resume. Jesus knows what you need and his plan and his grace is enough. That's what we've seen every single week. Hudson Taylor's this missionary Uh, with China Inland Mission, and he wrote home to his wife when he was experiencing financial uh, uh, difficulty. Lots of uncertainty in his life financially, and he says this. Listen how simple this is. He says, I have 25 cents in all the promises of God. 25 cents in all the promises of God. And the Avett brothers put it this way, and ain't no man, if you want to follow along in in your handout. Ain't no man can save me. Ain't no man can enslave me. Ain't no man or men can change the shape my soul is in. There ain't nobody here who can cause me pain or raise my fear. I've only got love to share. If you're looking for truth, I'm proof. You'll find it there. There's something consistent about these words. No one can affect like the state that I'm in, not a man or circumstances. Because life with Jesus, you have lasting contentment, real contentment. So in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John, Jesus' biographies, the gospel, and then Acts, the church starts. Jesus ascends to heaven, pours out his spirit on this group of hodgepodge, group like, you know, sinful people, and the church is off and let loose into the world. The Apostle Paul finds himself in prison with his friend. And his friend is named Silas. And Luke is the guy who wrote Acts. He documented it. Luke was a historian. And this is what we read in Acts 16.25 about Silas and Paul in prison. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Singing hymns to Jesus who they cannot see behind bars. Are you kidding me? Like, it's incredible and baffling. 
How can you be a person who has joy and rejoices and is praying with your friend while you're on death row? How can you do this? How can you be a person with this kind of contentment? I think we have to renounce, for starters, that we have to renounce the messages and the voices and the lies from our, our, our culture and country and our own hearts that say that Jesus isn't enough. You need more. Jesus isn't enough. We have to silence those voices. We can't listen to them because our hearts will follow it. Because I love the boots, right? I want the boots, right? And my heart is captured by these alternate like gospel messages. Because we have to get honest with the fact that bigger and better, the money, the clothes, the success, the comfort is actually intoxicating if you get caught up in it. It just is. But they can't deliver no fall short. James K. Smith again, this is so this is so good. What happens when their attention and what he's talking about is trying to get approval and praise to like get in your heart, like satisfy. Okay? That's what he's talking about. What happens when their attention turns away, fleeting as it is? What happens when you get the scholarship, the ideal, the promotion? How many likes is enough? How many followers will make you feel valued? (coughs) But what if you're not wired to be liked, but loved? But not just loved, loved by one, capital O, one person. Could that explain why all the attention is never enough? Or why a a kind of postpartum (coughs) depression always sets in after every win? Every time you make it to the top, you had a mountaintop achievement. Why does winning leave you feeling so empty? He's getting at it. Because your heart and mind was made for more. That's what he's nailing. And we have to renounce the lies that say that Jesus isn't enough for our hearts and the restlessness there. I also think if we're, if we're going to even begin to believe this, practice this, follow this message, we need others. This is, the, again, you can't do faith solo. You, I need other people. Like, I need Ivy when she sees me looking at these shoes again. I'm going to come back to it because it's just, this is just where I'm at right now, y'all. Vulnerability. <coughs> and I'm kind of sick, too. <coughs> I need Ivy to look to me and say, what are you doing? Because she knows me so She knows what I'm doing. I don't, you don't need it. It won't satisfy it. It won't satisfy you in your heart. It's like think of it like think of like a packing trip. If you've gone backpacking with people, like how you pack is really important, and uh, the weight that you experience is profoundly important, especially if you're going to have any kind of like longevity on uh, this over, especially if it's overnight. You need other people to tell you what's going to weigh you down. You need need other people to tell you how to pace yourself. And you need other people in this like long walk and race with Jesus. We need other people to tell us. I need Ivy and others. And I need Dylan and Dr. Swisegood to look at me and say, Jesus is enough. Stop this stuff that weighs you down. I need it. Because left to myself, I know what my heart does. Jesus is our shepherd in him. We lack nothing. So Charles Spurgeon quote, I'm going to end with this. I want you to follow along if you can look there. 
We have all things and abound, not because I have a good store of money in the bank, not because I have skill and wit with which to win my bread, but because the Lord is my shepherd. Y'all, the simple good, good news of the gospel that we will repeat over and over and over and over again is Jesus is enough. He's enough for you and he's enough for me. And we can say crazy things like David in Psalm 23. We can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I don't lack anything today and tomorrow on death row. When I fail an exam, when I suffer and when I die, I lack nothing. That's what Jesus wants for you and for me. Let me pray for us.